Legends once told of a podcast lost now in the sea of time. These ancient recordings spoke of games and the arcane art of HTML5. Today, Jeff Blair and Matt Hackett bring these words back to life. It is Lostcast, and may your ears receive it. Sponsored by Pokey. I have a cat in my lap. Welcome to Lostcast, episode 21. I'm Matt Hackett. And I'm Jeff Blair. Jeff, uh, California Extreme was this weekend, and we both went. It was great. So California Extreme is a convention, takes place every year in the Bay Area in California. Uh, it most recently has been in Santa Clara. That's where it was this time. And it is a giant convention where there's tons of arcade cabinets all in free play, mostly old stuff, you know, like uh, classics, Donkey Kong, um, you know, Pac-Man, Galaga, Centipede. Smash TV. Yeah, there's a lot, like, it's a really good range, actually. They've got some new stuff, too, like the grid is set up, you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, there's also a really big uh, pinball um, part of the conference, which is, like, slightly separate. We also saw a couple guys there with, like, physical games physical games oh yeah like we played that table game with the the burke ball burke ball b-i-r-k burke ball yeah that was completely unexpected it was pretty interesting it's like you shoot these marbles at other balls on the table yeah that's what the cool thing about it is is you get to see all these games set up in in ways that are just maybe not what you experience every day you know we uh we play games on xbox primarily like we talk about a lot and we obviously make html5 games so a lot of people are playing our games in their browsers and maybe on their phones and then to go to an arcade to see all these games being played in a real specific way you know there's really no other way to play this exact game than on this cabinet perhaps you know right and we played a bunch of two-player games we We played smash tv i feel like that was obligatory yeah since onslaught always gets compared to smash tv and then um, one of my favorite ones that was there, uh, Magic Sword, is a really oh, great yeah. co-op game. It's one of these games where you're like you're uh, it's like a side-scrolling action game with medieval fantasy theme, you know, and you're killing stuff and you're getting upgrades and you always have a little like a little buddy to come along with you. Oh yeah, yeah. And you can like um, you know unlock these gates and they and you rescue them. You can. It's really cool. And we played Joust, two-player Joust. Joust is hard. Joust is really hard. Oh, man, Joust 2. I think as the very first time I've played that, but it was really awesome. Hmm. They introduced uh, a couple of new features to the classic Joust game. So an interesting thing about California Extreme is that there was a guy there promoting his X-Big indie games. Yeah, I remember when you saw that, you were like, man, that's smart. Why didn't I think of that? Well, because I'm dumb. <laughs> that was pretty cool. He had, uh, what was fist puncher yeah face puncher i think face puncher yeah and then something else abraham lincoln's beard no it, it was some um washington's wig washington's wig yeah they were both very retro inspired uh, very very big pixels yeah it was like they're x and a so we had him set up uh running in windows like right. he brought like a big tv and then like a windows box and he was playing the games there but they're also gonna launch on x big yeah that's Anyways, very cool yeah i thought that was an amazingly good idea He's yeah. the only person there doing that. Yeah, he was. And this is a place where, like, California Extreme really needs to expand. Like, they're pretty much at their limit, I think, as far as capacity goes, you know. So, to give him some floor space, I think, is not just something, you know, where it's like, yeah, we got all kinds of space. Just put your put your game somewhere, you know. Like, uh, I don't know. They probably had to make a decision to, like, you know, disclude these arcade cabinets and allow this indie game developer to, you know, hawk his merchandise. I think it's great. Yeah, it was a pretty crowded floor. It was actually a lot smaller than I thought it would be. Yeah, um, maybe it was a bigger when it was in San Jose. I don't remember. But anyway, it was super awesome. I was there uh, all weekend. Andrea and I got a hotel room, so we just stayed the night and just committed to playing games all weekend. It was really great. That's great. It's not much of a commitment for you, though. No. <laughs> That's like saying, I commit to eating breakfast. I will uh, Yeah, I will commit to finish this sandwich <laughs> or something. I don't know. Anyway. Anyways, it was a lot of fun. I'm glad I went. That was the first year I've been there. Yeah, this was my third so, uh, would you think pretty good? Would you go again? I don't know. You don't know if you'd go again? I, I would go again, but I would very heavily consider a different time. I went oh. like middle of the day on Saturday, and it was so busy right when I got there that yeah. I basically just went and got lunch for yeah. a couple hours first. Yeah, I remember that. I, I got to say that it is kind of frustrating. Like, you'll see, I, what I did was I made a round through the whole floor the first time, and I made like a note of all the games I wanted to play. And then I just had to go camp out, like just sit behind this person. And I'd see this a lot where like I'm sitting there waiting with Andrea behind this person. They're like, hey, you want to join in? Like, you know, I'm waiting to play. And I'm like, well, that's nice and everything, but I want to 
play with Andrea. Like, what's she going to do while I'm playing, you know? Right. So you just have to sit there and just watch him play through the whole game. And the only other option is just to come back later, and there's always someone on. It was just really too crowded. That's that's what I'm saying. They just need to expand. Yeah, yeah. But, um, man, I really just I really want people to be playing our games in, like, a public place like that. You know, I'd love to be able to see them playing it and see them interact with their friends. I mean... Like you yell at them when they do things wrong? Yeah. <laughs> crack them, like, crack the whip. Whip them. First thing we need is a multiplayer game, though. Maybe someday. Not just yet. Local multiplayer is not that hard. Oh, local multiplayer is doable. That would be great on an arcade cabinet. Yeah, I totally would. We should uh, get one of those, like, arcade cabinets that you just toss, like, an emulator into. Oh, yeah. Replace it with a web browser. With uh, Chrome OS. Yes. <laughs> so, in episode 21, we're going to be talking about the uh, the what WG split with W3C. That's a lot of W's. I know. Is there a different way to pronounce that? What wig? Or how do people say that? I don't know. You know, know, I read it all the time and I never pronounce it. Like, I don't think when you actually do. talk to people about something as boring as... <laughs> specs. <laughs> <laughs> I guess in our life that comes up. Um, so I went to a Windows 8 developer camp last week. Um, that was pretty interesting. We're going to talk about that a little bit because that could be pretty big for both HTML5 uh, developers and for independent developers because this is like... Um, this is pretty uh disruptive to the pc scene like even even valve and uh their dominance over the pc market with steam um could be i don't know about threatened but could be you know uh just disrupted with this this new with metro you know that's true so uh and then we're going to talk about lava blade which man have we been doing a ton of work on lava blade i haven't done anything this week aside from the time that we spent together lava blade all the time yeah it really has like i wake up in the morning uh, i'm i'm just so i'm i'm so in in the the zone you know where all you can think about is working yep. i wake up in the morning and i'm like what oh man i gotta run to the computer and i just i'm just working right and then i'll realize at like 11 or something i'm like wow i'm starving it's like oh i haven't eaten had food yeah that happens regularly yeah, yeah. these days because we're just like we're deep in crunch and i've never had a happier crunch <laughs> i'm just really eager to work i think it's because we finally got to the point where the engine or the you know the the main engine part of the game is stable enough where we're actually producing content now and not just yeah you know, trying to build it totally so we'll uh, yeah we'll talk all about that too so um first thing is up we're going to talk about um so i'll put this in the show notes but if you haven't been following this um there's basically two entities that kind of dictate what features get into um the HTML5 spec, right? Mm-hmm. And those are the, the W3C, right? Which that's the um, the World Wide Web Consortium who has been kind of the, well, not kind of, but like they are the, the basically... steward of... Yeah, they're the steward of the web, basically. Like the web as we know. Not the internet, that's different, but the web, you know, like how do you... Technically speaking. Yeah, the technical aspects. So like most like, you know, HTML tags and how should APIs react and, and all that stuff, right? So then there's the WhatWig, which is W-H-A-T-W-G. And admittedly, I know less about them, but from my understanding is it was a bunch of people who got together and kind of wanted to, you know, push the W3C to write their spec faster, basically, right? I feel like they have uh, slightly different goals, too. You know, I think that one of the big things I've seen from WhatWig recently has been they don't really consider it HTML5. They consider it HTML. Right, yeah. And HTML is an evolving spec. And there really isn't a four and a five and a whatever, whatever. Yeah, the general consensus seems to be that HTML5 is supposed to be kind of just this uh, open, like, living spec, like, living document that you might hear about, you know? And the idea there is that, like, oh, it's never final. Like, we're always going to want to add new features to the in- like the, the, the web because the web is really just this thing that'll be forever evolving. And that that's fair and all that, but it's still, like, you still need to be able to write to a spec. You can't just be like, hey, you know, we want a gamepad API, and, you know, here's some ideas we have. We're going to change everything next week. It's like, you, you can't do that all the time, you know? Can't you? Well, I mean, I guess they've been doing it for, like, <laughs> how, how long now? How many years? But so, but that's not that shouldn't be your end game. That shouldn't be your goal, right? It shouldn't be, but I think that it's kind of just the way the web works. Yeah. Anytime you're dealing with a bunch of competing entities trying to define a, a common middle ground of yeah. what they're all going to implement, you're always going to have fragmentation and disagreements and things like that the interesting thing to me is uh the the way that stuff gets implemented now is different than it used to be what the used to be the case um is before there were like these specs to point at and stuff it would be basically whichever browser vendor made that feature first uh like they shipped with it they basically 
uh, finalize that feature, you know? I don't think that's any different than today. Well, it can be because so if you look at, say, Mozilla, they made that um, audio data API, right? And it doesn't seem like that's what anyone else is going with. Whereas if we were looking at this 10, 15 years ago and like, what was this article I saw? Someone was talking about the like where the image tag came from. It was just like someone just strong-armed it and just did it. Like Some developer just put it into... Um, I'm probably talking out of my ass here. I think it was Mosaic or something. But anyway, there was this spec a long time ago that the you know the vendor just did it. Everybody else was like, okay, this is functional. Let's, let's use this. You know, And they all just followed suit. Hmm. But these days, it seems a little more like... So one browser might do it their way. Another browser does it their own way. And then... I don't know. It, like, there isn't necessarily this, like, you, since you did it first, we're all going to do it the way you did it. That seems yeah. to be downplayed to me. I think so, but it also kind of depends on your power within the market. Like, I don't think Firefox is in the position where they can dictate APIs. That's very interesting, easily. too, because I think they used to be, right? Uh, sure. But they used to be developer's best friend, and that seems to have changed. But WebKit is now the standards dictation, right? True, like, yeah. Firefox and, and Opera like made a big deal recently and probably with good reason about how no one uses their vendor prefixes, right? Everybody uses dash WebKit CSS prefixes. Right, yeah. And they ignore, you know, the non-prefixed CSS oh, version. Oh, so Opera started to use the WebKit. WebKit prefixes, but that's so terrible. Like, like we can't have that. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, that creates problems. It really does. But the point I'm making is, is that WebKit is kind of in a dominant position right now, and so they're yep. the ones that kind of get to dictate the api to, to a certain extent yeah, yeah yeah so what this uh news that we heard recently is about is that these two entities um who are both writing specs for the web so that web developers can can work on it and vendor makers can you know write to the spec um they decided to split recently and from what i understand the way that they split is that the w3c is still going to be pushing forward and they're going to have like a finalized spec that they'll you know give, give out to the world right Whereas the the Whatwig, what they're going to be doing is they're going to just have this kind of um, more like living document thing where they're just going to like update fast and they're going to get, you know, specs to people very soon um, with the understanding that it's not as final so that like, you know, their APIs might change and stuff because it's not going to be as formal a process as the W3C is going to continue right. to have. And this is the way that they've been handling things for a long time. But the difference is that now there's more of like their their separation is now formalized and the understanding used to be that like, you know, maybe the W3C would, you know, look at the, like the Whatwigs work and like build on top of that and finalize it. Whereas now it's like, because they've made this decision, it looks like now it'll be easier for them to split and for the Whatwig to be doing something and W3C to be like, yeah, you know, we saw that and we're going to go this route or whatever. So my knee jerk reaction and like, granted, I don't, uh, what I know is just like from what I what I read. Like I don't know anyone on these. Um, sure. Yeah. So uh, please correct me in the comments if I'm talking out of my ass here. But like, knee jerk reaction was that it's bad because it just gives them another excuse to have these two different specs, right? And just I was thinking about like, let's say I was working on a browser. Which spec am I going to implement? Is it you know what bigger W3C? That's an interesting question. Um, I think I fall on the side of don't care because <laughs> I, I usually do. I, I, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, I don't really, I have never cared about W3C and hmm. only to maybe even a lesser extent, the Wetwig. Right. Uh, they don't really have, I've been a web developer for 10 years. And I mean, as a web developer, like what they're doing doesn't really affect me all that much. Like I live and die by what the browsers actually implement. To me, I kind of see it, though, as this kind of thing where like they might be perhaps a puppet master who's controlling the vendor makers who make the product that you use but they're not you they're just there's no reason like apple and microsoft and google have no you know no reason to follow the spec necessarily so we uh interviewed uh vincent scheib a while ago who is a chrome developer right he works for google he does nothing but work on chrome he put in puts in stuff like um full screen support and gamepad api and all that lock yeah, Mouselock. That was the one he was he was uh, working on when we interviewed him, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes if you haven't heard that episode. But say you're you're him, and you decide like, hey, okay, today I'm going to work on the Gamepad API, right? So how do you implement that? Like, where where do you go look to read about like where you should even start, what the API should look like, what the function calls are, and all that? Well, I think that you do it in the same way that a lot of these features, you know, the the W3C is more about standardizing stuff that's already there, not making up new features. 
right? Like the Canvas stuff was born out of Apple. Right. And Web Audio API was born out of Google. And Ajax was born out of Microsoft, right? Hmm. Like this, doesn't, this didn't come from W3C. They are trying to standardize and homogenize these APIs so that all browsers can write to the same spec. But hmm. when you're talking about new features, that's why we have the product limitation is because, you know, someone's at Google said, hey, we need a better audio thing. Like let's do up this Web Audio API. And Firefox obviously did something similar, but they call it something different and it works different. Right. And then W3C hasn't standardized on either, as far as I know. I don't know. And maybe with Mobile Safari doing Web Audio API, that'll be different. But, you know, From I what think- I understand, the Web Audio API became a W3C recommendation at some point. But again, I, I have a hard time keeping up with all this stuff. But like, what does a recommendation mean? It means they're considering it or it's likely to be a spec? I mean, who knows? Yeah, it's true. It's never this really formal thing i guess the best like test we have for it down the road would be the acid tests right. but even those like is the testing flawed and uh, there's certain things that maybe you can't even test all that reliably or hmm, it's it's really difficult that was interesting though because like my knee-jerk reaction was that it was a bad thing but you're re- like you didn't you either didn't care or thought you thought it was fine yeah i think it's fine or i just don't i don't think it'll change much i mean hmm. from a developer perspective it might change things from like a browser implementer perspective right. but even that, I don't think so, because, um, like I said, all these features are mostly dev- or, uh, vendor-driven, I think, hmm. not community consortium-driven. Well, I definitely agree that, like, I mean, we both have very similar web careers. Like, I started at Yahoo and... long time ago. Yeah, and, and like, I, I never deal with W3C and all that stuff, but, like, it is, like, I get referred to the specs pretty often, you know, and, like... Other people might link to it, um, like on the Chrome blog, if they made a new feature or something. I don't. Know. It's just kind of this thing that you see and hear about, but you don't actually ever deal with directly. But to me, it just kind of makes me uneasy because, like, given that these two entities have been relatively parallel for a while, and the fragmentation we already have within the the vendor market, just them splitting makes me think that that might get worse. So it's like as fragmented as we are now, that might be worse in like the next three to six months after this decision. Yeah, I think that's an interesting perspective. I guess my looking at it through my lens, I feel like you have to embrace the fragmentation of the web as opposed to fight it. Hmm, interesting. Like you're never going there's never going to be one spec agreed upon by anybody implemented by all browsers. Or even if there is, are they all, do they all implement it in the same way? Like right. maybe there's bugs in this one, so you have to like I mean, even if the API is the same, right? Like what if array.sort in Firefox is a different sorting algorithm than you know, whatever. And and I guess like that's part of the spec, right? They define like what the sorting al- algorithm should be. But there's other instances like that where you're still going to run into, well, when Firefox does this, they throw the can play event right. multiple times. And we've run into bugs like oh, that. Oh, we have. Yes. Man, and, audio was so bad in Lunchbug on Firefox before I put that fix in there. Yeah. And that fix doesn't do anything in any other browser. Not to say that having one spec that everyone could write to and rely on would be not good. I mean, it would be amazing, but it's just not practical, I feel like. Hmm, interesting. I guess there have been these tools like that. One could argue that one of the reasons jQuery has become such an ubiquitous web development term, like it's a, it's a skill in and of itself now. Like right. a lot of people say, you know, I, I know jQuery before they might even say that I know JavaScript, but like... And a lot of people that know jQuery don't really even know JavaScript. Yeah, exactly. But part of the reason that, that jQuery might have become such a popular thing is because it is kind of this like this tool that does flatten the API for everybody. You know, like right. when you call, you know, $.click or whatever, you know that... It's going to, you know, work the same in the browsers that jQuery supports. You don't have to worry about like, okay, what's the spec say, W3C? And then, oh, I see. Well, Firefox, you have to have this, you know, third parameter and you add event listener right. or else it'll break, like that kind of stuff. Like, you don't worry about it. You just use a, a library to even that out. And that's why I think that the spec groups don't really matter to the common developer because they are going to use tools like jQuery or whatever. And, I mean, you see that kind mm-hmm. of abstraction happening all over the place. Like, look at things like Hacks. Haxy? I don't know how to say Oh, it. the H-A-X-E? Yeah. So, like, you know, that you can write ECMAScript and it compiles all over the place, right? You don't even have to care. Like, you don't have to write C-sharp. You don't have to write Java. You can compile to both. Right. So, it's kind of similar to that, right? jQuery is just um, this API that then interacts with a bunch of different environments. Hmm. So, I don't know. It's an interesting discussion. It is. Um, I... I <laughs> I'm in this weird middle ground because like on one end, I'm kind of passionate about this stuff because I'm a web developer and, you know, I want things to be good. But on the other end, like I know that there's so much that I just don't know about, you know, like the the people on on the boards, 
the people who are contributing to the specs like there's probably all this political stuff and drama between the two organizations and oh yeah this, you know this uh just massive history you know and well you ever heard the term designed by committee <laughs> yeah well i think it's pretty you know uh, it, it fits here right like uh, it could be true yeah and so it doesn't really matter if it's one group or two groups or three groups or 16 groups right you're still right. gonna have all these fragmentation problems Ugh. so that's kind of where I, I come at from my i don't really care perspective yeah, yeah. i guess it doesn't change too much i mean we're still just gonna be writing javascript and writing the best javascript we can exactly and javascript is one of those languages where feature detection is actually pretty easy that's true you know our code says if window.webkit can full screen or whatever the API call yeah, yeah, is, yeah. then we call it. If not, we don't. Right. So, so we'll see. Um, but it could be it could be bad news or it could be not really relevant yeah. news. It could be no news. <laughs> could be no news. The best kind of news. <laughs> Actually, I think it is good news overall. Uh, because you think it's good. I do. I do. I really do. Because I think that you need someone bleeding edge spec because the web is bleeding edge. In fact, I think the Wetwig is going to be more relevant than W3C. Interesting. Uh, because the web moves so fast and because there's so much variety and so much fragmentation that having, you know, some semblance of a spec that's on the bleeding edge that doesn't take 15 years to solidify anything is more beneficial. Right. That makes sense. So we'll see. Maybe um, Wetwig will, like, um, take leadership and they'll ship quickly and, like, you want a spec? we got a spec right here. We've been working on it for months. Bam, done. Go nuts. And it's great. Maybe. And then W3C becomes a bunch of dinosaurs no one cares about. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Or no what, one cares about either. What and does the future hold? Everybody keeps using WebKit CSS prefixes. Yay, WebKit. <laughs> eventually the spec is dash WebKit. Or, and watch this segue, or everyone starts using Internet Explorer 10 running on Metro. That was an amazing segue. Was that a great segue for our next conversation? About Windows? About Windows 8. Oh, right, Windows 8. <laughs> well, I mean, is it so Metro is just a code name for Windows 8. Do I have that right? Yes. Okay. Well, I think that Metro is like the... It's kind of like the new UI on top of Windows 8, maybe. Oh, yeah. Like, so my, my experience with Windows 8 so far has been like, I've, I've been a Mac developer for um, like five or six years now, I guess. Meaning I use a Mac, not I develop for Mac. Anyway, uh, so Too much water I, I, I would vodka. see, yes, <laughs> I would see uh, it's like screenshots, you know, oh, early screenshots of Metro and all this stuff and, and like Windows phones using the same, you know, UI and stuff. And I just see these like really bold gaudy colors with these ridiculously simple icons and just like a little bit of text and it just to me all the screens just start to kind of look the same i just see like blue blue orange red and and that's all i see hmm. and with some white in the middle you know whereas like when i look at uh, like an iphone screen or what if i if i uh, you know look at a bunch of icons i think that that helps a lot better i really like, don't like the look i installed windows 8 preview on my home machine yeah and i installed it in a virtual machine yeah, and it's um, it's fine. I don't know. It's a it's pretty jarring if you're used to regular Windows. The weird thing to me is that there's the there's Metro, which yeah, you're right, uh, is just the the new UI stuff, which is like designed from the get go to work on Windows Phone, on tablets, and on your PC. So it's got this weird thing where like it really works best on touch because that's the lowest common denominator, right? And then, so on, like when I installed it and I was messing around with it on my desktop, I quickly got to this point where I couldn't exit the application. It's it's really not intuitive. I'm sure that once you're using it, like Microsoft does some smart things. They've got, you know, thousands of people working there. Like it, it must be, I'm sure it's good, right? At least in some regards. But when I was playing or playing with it, it was like, so I, I opened up Metro. I clicked on the Internet Explorer right there from the home screen. I got an Internet Explorer. I like pulled up a website, and then the, the URL bar disappeared, and I couldn't find a way to bring it back. Yeah. And so I went to, after I went to this developer camp, I think that there's just some standard thing you're always supposed to do in any application to like, you hover somewhere, you make some gesture, and and like the settings uh, strip so is supposed to appear or something, but I couldn't get that to work. That's what I saw. So using it on the desktop, you have to mouse over to the various corners and then things happen. Like if you mouse up or left, you get like recently used application windows. And if you mouse to the yeah. right, you get this start menu, something. I don't know. The really weird thing is even from Metro, you can then leave and go back to your desktop. And it looks to me like windows 95. No, it's like windows seven. It looks the, the, so the one that I saw had like this gray taskbar. Really, with like a with like the solid blue background. Remember that? Yeah, that was like that was ubiquitous from like ninety five to two thousand, maybe yeah, yeah. two thousand server. That's weird. When I 
went there, I saw like a Windows Seven esque huh. desktop. Well, I mean, maybe, it it's, maybe no, it's skinnable or that's weird. It had no start menu. But but the the point is that it's still Windows, right? Like right. with all this new brouhaha and everything behind it, I thought that it, this was going to be like a giant step in a new direction, and I guess it kind of is. But it, I don't know. To me, I guess I guess my default reaction is it seems kind of like a half step if it's only half. I mean, it is, right? Lipstick on a pig. Lipstick on a pig. Is that an expression? Yeah. That I don't know about? Probably. Is it just because it doesn't look right? Well, it's like you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. Oh, So I even see. if you fancy up a pig, it's still a pig. Okay. So, uh, so I'm even sure... Windows with a fancy skin on it is still Windows. I see. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I've told you about this probably numerous times, but um, I don't know if I've told my told our, told our listeners. So, um, Oh, your listeners? I, I misspoke. You have a listener or two as well, Jeff. <laughs> Let us know in the comments. <laughs> who's better, Matt or Jeff? Who, who's, who, whose listeners are, are more active? That's right. <laughs> so um, Andrea is uh, is my fiance. I've been with her for like five or six years. So she, she noticed all over, over the years that I always miss all these uh, regular expressions, right? Like these normal expressions that, that people say is they'll be like... Um, I can't even think of any because I'm just I'm, for some reason I just missed out on that part of growing up where like you hear about a lot of like I guess your parents must not have used them very much I guess not what was the one that you said not all that long ago I say them all the time my my dad and my mom are both big like oh eat crow expression. came up not all that long ago and I was mm. like what is eat crow I thought it was one word because it was like eat crow interesting e- like eat crow or ecro like escrow escrow yeah I have no idea like there's all these expressions so. So uh, Andrea was keeping a list of all the expressions that I hadn't heard of before, and she called the list regularexpressions.txt. Nice for the you know the computer term because it's funny. Anyway, <laughs> I always get a kick out of that. But I'm not get, familiar with that one. Yeah, I, I guess it is lipstick on a pig because it is it's it's exactly the same type of Windows, but it has this new Metro crap on it. And maybe I'm just being like a curmudgeon, but like it was really non-intuitive for me to use. Yeah. And I feel like I'm a pretty tech-savvy guy, but I, I was getting frustrated trying to figure out how to get from like the store to back to the desktop, and it just doesn't feel cohesive. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, I still have those kind of problems once in a while with like an iOS app. And sure. iOS is a platform known for its like really simple, excellent usability, right? But like still to this day, I'll, I'll be in one app or another, and um, outside of the app, I've got one button to get the home button, right? But inside the app, I might want to do something like pull up options, or like actually just the other day it was um i was in a web browser and i couldn't figure out how to pull up the earl bar and i think the problem was that i had bookmarked it to the home screen and they don't allow you to do that anymore once you've done that yep yeah so i mean you know no platform is perfect and when you have the giant problems to solve that they do you're going to run into stuff like that but anyway my first experience with it wasn't really all that great um either way windows is still the dominant platform on the planet. More people have and are buying Windows devices than iOS, Android, everything else combined. You know, it's still staggering, right? If you include the desktop, yeah, right. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Which is additionally exciting when when you know Microsoft says that their their new OS is going to work across the board. Like you know they're making a big tablet push, and obviously there's Windows phones out there, and and PCs giant. Obviously, um, when when you look at like all of that. And and then here's the kicker when when Microsoft is like and HTML5 apps are native like that's that when awesome. I started to get really exciting and like I kind of turned my head like oh you know I I forget what it was I stumbled on some video recently where they were talking about that you know and I was like that's that's big that could be really major for like a little HTML5 studio like ours you know I think it's great that you can go into the new version of Visual Studio and say create new project JavaScript mm-hmm. you know it's right there along C sharp and visualbasic.net and whatever else yeah that's really slick so that's kind of like the uh, the holy grail for us you know so i actually got lunchbug running inside of metro in like 20 minutes wow that's great i basically just took our obfuscated javascript code pasted into their javascript uh entry point or whatever right just worked were you doing this like from a local file or were you pulling it from like lunchbug.com like, like the game or... No, I just copied the source code. So I, I took the generated JavaScript from so the game. So that code was being run inside of Metro even? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's great. I basically have the exact same code that lives on the web. Just that large chunk of JavaScript that's embedded in the page. Right. And I just popped it inside the entry point for the Metro application. Done. Huh. That's great. Yeah. So I noticed uh, the other day that um, Microsoft is having these uh, developer camps. Um, and they've they've got something else, which is like... 
quality assurance labs or something, but I guess that's separate. But um, they they were having a um, Windows 8 event for developers in Mountain View where I live. And I'm like, all right, I should go to this. And it was like at a reasonable time in the morning, like 9 or 10 or something, you know. So I went and... I'm surprised uh, you consider 9 a.m. reasonable. Yeah, I know, right? It's weird. Since my schedule doesn't matter anymore, I've, I've actually kind of just gone back to normal. Yeah, me too. I think it's because I wake up when Andrea leaves, you know? It's just stuff going on that you know yeah your brain just kind of wakes up when there's activity and the, you know i guess the sun came up <laughs> at some point <laughs> <laughs> maybe yeah but I, I made myself go um and uh i went and uh it i don't know I, I wasn't getting a lot out of it so i ended up taking off about halfway uh it was a lot of preliminary and setup stuff and part of my problem with it too was like so they very quickly got into the all right html5 apps for desktop here we go and i'm like yes this is why i'm here you know and the very first thing they started talking about is for like 10 minutes, they were talking about how cool CSS3 is. And they were giving examples. They had like demos showing. We're like, look at the stuff you can do now. And this is no JavaScript. And I'm like, uh, that's just the wrong message. You know, I, I'm, I'm here because I already know the HTML5 is awesome. And the CSS3 is awesome and all that, you know? Right. I don't need to be talked into it. You know, I just, I want to know how to do it. And uh, especially since you, you <laughs> told me before I even went, you were like, yeah, I already got that working. Like, that's really easy. Um, I was like, why am I even here? <laughs> but still, it's it's really exciting. And I think that, like, what we've been wanting for a long time is the ability to wrap up our games and, like, make an EXE, make a DMG, or, like, a dot .app so they can run it on Mac. Like, we would love to be able to run our games natively, put them on Steam if possible, you know, all that good stuff. Um, and that's one of the things that Metro could just do right out of the box for us. So yeah. we're trying to pay close attention to it. I am also really curious to see if this... JavaScript as a first-class citizen in Visual Studio will translate to Xbox. Oh, that would be wonderful. You know, my thinking, again, I don't know what I'm talking about, but my best guess would be that they're not going to do it for 360, but that they might for their new Xbox. Right. And we've been hearing rumors for a while now that they've already been beginning manufacturing and all that, which, I don't know, probably not true, but uh, what that does mean, though, is that rumors are starting, so they probably actually are starting to work on it, you know? I bet, yeah, they they have to be working on it. Yeah. Xbox 360 is so old at this point. Seven years, something like that? Jesus, yeah. So that could be great. And, and the reason I think that they might actually finally um, make HTML5 apps available on um, Xbox is probably what they're going to do is they're going to do the same thing they've been doing with Metro, where it's like, this is the OS that works on Windows Phone and tablets and desktops, right? Right. So why would they stop that trend for their um, gaming console. Well, they've already gone that way with XNA, right? Like, you can already write Windows and Xbox games mostly the same way. A while ago, they changed it. It used to be, like, there was an XNA creators club, which was, like, where you go to make XNA games, right? And then they changed the skin. It's, like, all the same website and everything. Um, But then now it's, like, this is where you go to make Windows phone games. And they started to very much push that, you know? And this this was probably a while ago now, like a year or something, but it was, like seemed to me like a pretty obvious response to like, hey, uh, some of your biggest um, competitors like Google and Apple, you know, they're kind of kicking your ass at mobile. <laughs> so they're like, all right, <laughs> let's kind of kick that up a notch. It'll be really interesting to see. I mean, if nothing else, uh, it'll at least be an easy way to get our applications on Windows. So even right. if Windows Phone doesn't end up having a huge market share, uh, it won't be like we're spending a lot of time trying to make it work. Yeah. And Hopefully. like with the case of Lunchbug, it could be we go into Visual Studio, we make a new JavaScript app like you're saying, we put Lunchbug in there and it just works, right? And then we uh, do the same thing with Windows Phone and that just works. And it's like with, you know, barely any extra work, we have Lunchbug natively on like all of Microsoft's system or devices, right? That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Uh, a couple other details. They have the typical 70-30 split. So if you, um, you know, you're selling your game or your app with them, or maybe you're using their microtransaction API, whatever it is, they take 30%, you take 70%. That's the same as Apple. It's pretty standard. Uh, the difference is that once you get to $25,000 worth of revenue, they split that, or they, they change the splits to 80-20. So developers get 80% at that point, which, I mean, so they technically have the best rates in the industry, though, especially among independents, no one's ever going to see it. But it's cool that it's there. They don't have better rates than Google. What is Google's? What are Google's rates? Doesn't Google take 5%? Or is uh, that Chrome Web Store only? It might be Chrome Web Store only. They had something. I think, wasn't Chrome Web Store the one where it was like 5 bucks to create an account? 
Yeah. It, it wasn't. It wasn't even like they're not trying to make money. They're not even trying to pay their own bills. They were literally just trying to put a credit card lock on it. It's like if you you need a credit card, you can't just be you know a spam bot. Like right. you got to have some. Yeah, I get a bank involved or something. Well, they did that for Android too. I remember it was like twenty five bucks for an Android account. Yeah, it was definitely very cheap. Um, admittedly, I feel kind of out of touch with Android. Like I know that Google has its own microtransaction APIs and stuff, but I don't know um, what their share is of that. I don't know either. But this is uh, interesting. We just saw that Google Wallet. Uh, they're now going to bring to Android. Oh right, yeah, that's pretty cool. Oh, that's something else I should mention about um, Metro as well. Is that this surprised me actually? Um, in the Windows 8 Marketplace, you can use any transaction API that you want. So we could we could take Lunchbug just how it is, even though it's using Google Wallet, one of Microsoft's competitors, Google, right? We could just take Lunchbug and put it in their store. The only thing is, it has to be like accredited or something, which I'm sure Google that can't is. be that hard. Yeah, yeah. Oh, an accredited payment provider. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm sure they're fine. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Wait, what were you saying just before that? Oh, Google Wallet is now on the open web. Or no, it's now you can use it on Android. I think so. Maybe we should not talk about that part because I don't know what I'm talking about. But No, no, you sent me an article the other day. I, I did, it. yeah. I, I glanced at it. I saw the headline. <laughs> <laughs> no, Anyways. It, was. it was like Google Wallet's going to be available in a ton more places. And that's good news for us because we use Google Wallet. Yeah, exactly. It was going to expand the areas where you can use Google Wallet. And I have a feeling they're going to integrate that with Google Play. Oh, Google Play. You know, I keep forgetting. I still call it um, the Android Marketplace usually. I have a hard time with that, mm. just re-skinning everything. You're going to get smote by the Google overlords. I know. And um, apparently they um, still have, like the Chrome Web Store, you know, has not been rolled into Google Play, which I was kind of expecting. So there's mm. still this weirdness where they have like several stores. That was the other thing. The other day I kind of wanted to go into Lunchbug and see if we'd actually made any, you know, sales or anything and uh i had a hard time there was like there was google merchant accounts there's a google wallet there's google checkout checkout yeah there's all these different places to go and i didn't pick the right one and i couldn't find how to get the information i wanted you know it's just a little bit too much didn't guess correctly matt you don't deserve (laughs) that information (laughs) i I I even googled it (laughs) (laughs) fail where's my money i'm feeling lucky yeah right (laughs) This podcast is sponsored by Pokey, the software platform that brings games and apps to your desktop using standard web languages like HTML5, CSS3, and JavaScript. Pokey helps indie game developers create, distribute, and monetize their apps on the desktop. In addition to the platform, Pokey's team helps indie developers with professional resources like legal, marketing, and distribution, so you can focus on creating awesome games. Check out the Pokey developer website at developer.pokki.com. Man, we've been working really hard on Lava Blade. You've been working really hard on Lava Blade. I've you been haven't been? slacking my ass off. You've been playing nothing, doing nothing but playing Spelunky? Pretty much. Come on, Jeff. <laughs> no, it's not true. I've been working pretty hard, too. I'm going to buy a whip. Whoosh. So Gigi. I've been doing lots of graphics. Um, when you came down on Tuesday, we spent like all day just like whiteboarding and talking about like the, the templates for stuff that we would need to make our content pipeline really, really fast. So we finalized uh, like the way that the class sprite sheets are going to be set up, uh, like the characters that you can play. And then we set up the way the sprite sheets are going to work for uh, for monsters. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do that in a way where uh, it accomplishes a couple of things. For one, each m- mob in the game, so like a monster or a player character, they're going to have these moods. And we pick just a handful of moods that uh, we try. We always try to find this like balance between a lot of work and a big payoff. Yep, and we found we just we took like four moods. There's like um, there's idle, and then there's like action, and then there's pain, and there's death. Right. So like, uh, if you're playing Lars, the main character, he's gonna be idle most of the time. And then when you jump or you attack, he'll have the action face, and he's like rah. And then when he gets hit, he has the pain face, and when he's dead, he has the dead face. Right. And we can overload the action for a lot of things. It could be like attacking. It could be right. Yeah. Jumping. It could be talking. It could be casting a spell. It could be whatever. Exactly. Yeah. And then, uh, so the monster sprite sheets also have, um, they're like on these, uh, like, a, like a matrix, and there's um, like, so the, the heads are on one row, and then each column has a different mood for, you know, the, like we're just talking about like the idol or the action or the death or whatever. And then each limb, because um, we're using dolls, like we've been talking about for way too long now. Um, <laughs> uh, so like we'll have a, a character which has just like a, like a base body and then we attach the limbs to it kind of like you with a paper doll. Mm-hmm. And so each limb has its own row. And then what we're going to do is, um, 
each limb is also going to have like four different variations of itself. So when a character is created and we're assembling the parts at runtime, we can take a random arm and a random leg and a random torso and make this kind of, I mean, it won't be drastically different, but we don't really want it to be anyway. Right. We would just want it to be, um, you know, make the goblins look more visually interesting. So like one goblin has boots and one goblin has right. like a ripped shirt and one goblin has yeah. a scar or something. Yeah. Because we've got all this procedural generation um, and we really want people, we really want to get a lot of replay value out of the game because that was one of the problems with onslaught is people would play it once and we yeah there's like there's a random aspect like a a sandworms you know run around randomly and maybe maybe goblins won't find you and maybe you you know you just get lucky and the randomization isn't as bad as it was but whenever you go and you play the game you're always seeing the same levels and you're seeing the same number of spawned monsters and the same creatures and all that you always get like two sandworms 10 seconds in and then two more sandworms 20 seconds in or something yeah so replaying the game is just really for people who like repetitive tasks and just like the familiarity and just enjoy the world and it's it's probably not your most common case most people are probably going to play once and be like yeah okay well i'm done didn't you send me an article about the value of repetition like just the other day i did yeah i'm the kind of guy who really likes repetition but uh, like I like grinding in video games, you know. I think a lot of people like that, though. I they, mean, look at look at Farmville and all these other games; they're totally re- repetitious. But part of that is though, like, so when that article, I'll link to the to this article in the show notes. But it was a uh, Zangama Sutra. Part of the value of repetition is they were talking about is like if you take something like um, like basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is uh, something that you can just repeat all day. Like some people just sit there and shoot hoops all day, right? And then some people might play uh, like Rock Band or Guitar Hero. They play it all day. They play the same song. It's very repetitive. Like you're not changing a single key, right? But the difference is uh, the stuff around it, you know? Like when you're playing um, Guitar Hero, you're trying to get 100%, which is really, really difficult, you know? And in basketball, no matter how much time you spend, you know, perfecting your shot, you're never going to be as good as, you know, pros or people who play for the Olympics or whatever, you know? So there's all these like external motivators, or maybe external internal, but Onslaught doesn't really have that. Like even if you got crazy good at playing through the game, there isn't really that like that competitive aspect. We've got leaderboards on Pokey, but other than that, um, I just don't know if it's a good enough package to really satisfy someone just to sit there all day and play it. I kind of agree, but it's more about yeah the external stuff. Like if we added leaderboards and we had stuff like that, I think that the game as is would have more repetition or more repetitive value. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it could. Um, but anyway, we tried to just kind of, uh, make all those problems and non issues with our design with lava blade. So that's one of the things we want to do is make the content, um, unique, you know, like it'll almost always feel fresh whenever you fire it up. But that presents its own set of problems, right? Like procedural content presents these issues where you have to be really careful not to screw the players over. Right, yeah. Like you get in these situations where like it's an impossible jump or this monster spawns such that you can make the jump, but you're, you're going to take damage from it no matter what. Yeah, and uh, you've been messing with uh, artificial intelligence a lot this week. I have actually. Making um, making the artificial intelligence actually jump from the platforms uh, to platform wasn't all that difficult, but it's still way worse than a player would be. Right. It, it still makes dumb decisions and, yeah. you know, and falls into pits quite a bit. So we have a grid, and uh, basically there's like a, a collidable tile or a non-collidable tile, right? Right. And so, like, if you have, say, you're working on the ogre boss, and the ogre will kind of look ahead and be like, okay, I'm moving this direction. He'll look at the tiles below and be like, okay, I see that there's a, you know, a drop-off right. here. Yeah. So I want to jump. But then at that problem, like, if there was, you know, if he, if that jump sets him on a trajectory where he's going to land on spikes... Like that's it's it's easy maybe to look for one thing, but then when you start to look like down the road, it starts to be hard to make an intelligent like being in the game, right? And you have to consider the object's speed too, because based on how fast the object is moving, it may or may not be able to make a jump. Right. Right. Like some things that are moving really fast, they can make like a two or three tile jump, but something that moves really slow can't even make a one tile jump. And so at that point, it has to be deterministic, and that's a whole other ball of wax where it can like look ahead and know what's going to happen when, and like make decisions based on that it could or you know i guess it could probably just you know say if my speed is less than blah then i know my max jump is like two or something that's cheating it is cheating (laughs) (laughs) but it's way less work yeah so that's what we've been working on this week we also have a bunch of the creatures are being made we're kind of uh let's see i did uh, the lizard man the ninja and the warrior oh the lizard man turned out pretty cool thanks i liked him he's fun to work on yeah he's gonna be a playable character i think that'll be cool i can't remember the last game i could play as a lizard man i know it's been a bunch hmm. but soul caliber 
Yeah, yeah, I remember you're a big Soul Calibur guy. I love Soul Calibur. I actually had the one on GameCube where you can play as Link. Oh, yeah. I just never really got into it, you know? I had the one on Xbox where you could play as Spawn. Play as Spawn? Oh, that's cool. Spawn was pretty badass. Hmm. It was fun. That sounds cool. I think, was it uh, was it PlayStation where you could play as Darth, Darth Vader? You can play as Darth Vader? Yeah. How did I not know this? And then there's one where you could play as Yoda. Oh, that sounds really cool. And I'm guessing he's properly small. Oh, yeah, yeah. But he's huh. a badass. Is he formidable at that size even? Oh, yeah. He's That's a pretty cool. fun character to play with. We should do that in Lava Blade. Have a character who's itty bitty. They're already kind of itty bitty. They are, yeah, they are already kind of small. We need a character that's really big. We should have a character, yeah. You should be able to play as the ogre. I think bigger than the ogre. You should be able to play as an ogre foot. <laughs> <laughs> a large foot. The cool thing about the system we've made, though, is that you can. Like, that's we true. could We could do that. We've made it very, like... Um, extensible uh, it's very extensible yeah almost too extensible i kind of had that argument with myself the other day oh know, well there's a bunch of cruft built around like what you have to put into the system to make us make an entity not necessarily cruft but it's like are we actually going to be able to leverage all this extensibility like when we release lava blade it'll have a certain subset of content right right and if we never do another ounce of work on lava blade all of that time spent on making it extensible will be kind of wasted and it's definitely added a lot of overhead right right so it's almost like if we don't add a ton of content to the game after we launch it then why do we bother we putting all this made effort it dumb and procedural in the first place i think though that that like if i if we could go back i think that we would even make onslaught's code more extensible you know because to this day there's people who like might want to license it or right. want us to you know integrate with this or that and we were like well this we can do because that code is fine right, right. but this other thing like we, these changes you went to the title screen that that code makes me cry blood. It, it's the it's the worst. <laughs> it's the worst code. You like I I don't want to mess with it. You know it is. So I, I I'm glad that the game is not there. Me too. I think it, it'll be worth it. And like you said, in the future, we don't know what the future holds for Lava Blade. So it could be like Onslaught, where two years down the road, you know, we're still talking to people that want to license the game and and have changes to it, and fans, customers that play it. Uh, I mean, we got an email from a guy who plays the game on iPad and he was, well, even today we get, you know, email from people who play the game on iPad and they're like, you should add this and this thing to the store and yeah. these kinds of monsters. And they're really excited about it. And we could do that, but it's a lot of work because Onslaught sucks. Yeah. It's like, we agree. I, w- I would love to see uh, like a giant electric ax or something too. Like, you know, I want to see more bosses. I want to see more content. That's actually been the thing people ask for most for Onslaught is just more content. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good sign. Actually. It is a good sign. They just want more. Um, the other thing they ask for is like stuff that's really hard to add, like you know, real time multiplayer. Real-time multiplayer. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, okay, sure, we'll just we'll get right Let on. Let me that. just uh, turn on, just flip a switch. No, that'd be great though. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what we've been. One of our mantras for Lava Blade has been to make this content part pipeline where we can just put content in like on a whim, like fairly quickly. And so far, it's working out great. I think. I'd really like to either do a blog post, actually about two subjects. I'd like to do a blog post or a podcast episode uh, or at least a portion of there of that uh, dedicated to talking about how we actually implemented the procedural level generation or uh, the object ai because both of those things are i think are pretty cool yeah i think you should do both Um, i i see i always see a lot of excitement around articles about procedural content generation i think a lot of developers realize that that's one of the tools they can use to help them compete against you know other teams that have like five people just making levels you know right yeah it's like I, I can't I can't compete with that many warm bodies, but maybe I can write a script that can, you know. Yeah, we always talk about how we make decisions based on um, leveraging the code, right? Right. So it's if we if we have a feature, we try to figure out like how can we make the code do the work for us instead of like having to draw it in your case or having to make levels and tiled in my case or, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I put up a teaser on lavablade.com. There's really not much to see there yet, but um, there's a little scene where it's got the main character sitting next to the ogre and you can see that they're, they're, they are dolls. You can see their, their, their limbs swaying gently. That's right. So it's animated and uh, we'll continue to update lavablade.com with uh, either demos or scenes or stuff just to, you know, kind of put it out there. It'd be great to put like a little teaser level embedded in the page right there. Yeah, I think so too. You can play, play the through. first level. Yeah. yeah. Maybe the tutorial or something can train you. Because basically that that teaser you put up there is the game engine running with a small subset of the content. Yeah, it is. Exactly. So yep. pretty cool. We could do whatever we want with that.
Well, great. That was episode 21. Thanks for listening. We always appreciate comments and reviews. I guess that means Lost Cast is drinking age now. Oh, it is. If, if each episode was a year. That's right. Uh, some people say it feels like a year between episodes. <laughs> it's only two weeks, though. It is. Technically. It's every other Sunday. So We wish Sunday. we could do the show every week. Hey, maybe someday. You know, I'd love to have an intern. Basically, the only real problem is that we, when we, anytime we get together, we talk for at least an hour about the same kind of things that we do on the show. The problem is the editing. That's true. Maybe we can outsource the editing someday. That would be amazing, yeah, if we could find someone that wanted to do editing. Yeah, maybe some hungry college kid that I used to be, like, just mess- messing with uh, logic on the weekends. That'd be great. Anyways, uh, thanks for listening. See you next time. podcast at your house? Surprisingly noisy house.